Hello and welcome to The Appetite, a podcast brought to you by Opal Food and Body Wisdom, an eating disorder treatment center in Seattle, Washington. I'm your host, Carter Umhow, a therapist, artist, and writer. Today I'm sitting down with Julie Church, who's one of Opal's co-founders and the nutrition director. Hi, Carter. So Julie, I'd love to hear how you're sort of receiving different questions or different comments lately about sort of people's concern around how or what they should be eating. I'm regularly hearing people talking about snacking and maybe overeating, binging. And I kind of take that. And from my standpoint, I view it as the fact that people are expressing different patterns in their eating and they are concerned around the fact that they're doing different stuff with their, with eating. They're just, they're behaving differently with food. I think obviously we are all in so much change. So change is hard. And so as a dietitian, of course, people are going to be saying things to me about food and eating. And it seems that the distress around the pattern and changes in their eating, they're linking to changes they're feeling or seeing in their body. So I think that there are people that have the separate issue of struggle with just like, oh my gosh, my eating's different. What do you think you would want people to know? So first off, just kind of in the, in the concern around the change, I would want for people to hear that in the midst of all of these changes, it is totally expected that our food and eating would change. I would encourage folks to look closer at like, what is the change (laughs) and to try to do that with curiosity and not judgment, right? Kindness, not criticism. So if you take kindness and curiosity into that, thinking about, well, what's the change? I think that most people are going to probably come up with, with various examples. But if I think about maybe lunch, like midday meal, what's different? So if somebody is a student or somebody that goes to an office to work or whatever, I would assume that they do some level of planning around what they're going to eat for lunch. (laughs) And so um, with outside of the pandemic, maybe they're a person that has a rhythm of packing up something to take with, or maybe they go out to eat. But most likely students and people that are working usually are not in their home for lunch on a regular basis. So here we are as like, if I can just start there, it's like, okay, so lunch is at home. (laughs) So, okay, lunch at home versus lunch on campus is just in and of itself very different. It could be different for a lot of different reasons too, right? Because like you're saying, the schedule is different. The location of where you would eat is different. The needs that are being fulfilled are different. It depends, all of this stuff is really dependent on your specific situation you're someone that has had a job that, you know, you were being really conservative with, with money and time and you were packing your lunch beforehand and bringing something really simple. And it wasn't really a, an opportunity in the day to get something very exciting to eat. It was just like fuel before you get back to work. That's going to be a really different kind of lunch experience than it would be if you had a job in a really interesting, fun neighborhood, and you were constantly going out with clients for lunch for fancy meals versus, like you said, if you're a student and maybe you're eating between classes or maybe you're still eating on campus and you've got a buffet of foods in the cafeteria essentially to choose from, like there's a lot of different experiences. 
with, again, like different emotional needs that get met or different sort of um, like kind of a different emotional quality to some of those things too. Yeah. And I guess it comes to, even when you talk about the emotional part, I think then maybe some people are getting more pleasure and more enjoyment from their lunch experience. And some people maybe are getting less, right? It's just like, who knows, right? And so try to compare what was I doing with, let's say the lunch meal, and then compare it to sort of what am I doing now, I think can help give perspective on, okay, so that's what needs are being met, what environments, what social, what then actually like satiation and appetite and pleasure in terms of like what we're getting to eat. That just back to just the food part of it, but eating is never just the food part of it. (laughs) So I think if there is a recognition that somehow what you're now doing with lunch is wrong because it's different. I would want to push back on that and have the listeners sort of ask themselves the question of, okay, well, why am I approaching lunch like this now? And I would hope that you could kind of see how like you're probably approaching it for good reasons. Right why your lunches are the way that they are. And I do hear this sort of fear around snacking or fear around overeating or binging. And that sort of midday meal or eating could, yeah, it certainly could be very different because we're at home and in our own environments versus like we were just saying, it's like out and about or whatever. So what kinds of things would people be answering then? Like if I said, this is why I'm eating differently in the middle of the day. Well, I mean, Like I said, around sort of the different experiences of lunch that could have happened while you were at work, there are also, I think, different considerations to keep in mind around the way that you chose to have breakfast or your your schedule. And these are these are really simple things, just in terms of your caloric intake, but also then the variety of food that you're eating, and how all of that could really be different right now. Were you used to sitting down? And having an hour before you had to get on your computer and working from home, or were you more used to running out the door with a bagel and a paper towel and eating half of it in the car before you got to work? Like there's a lot of different considerations around the way that you ate and then maybe how much food you actually got in your body. The sort of stereotypical workplace worry of coworkers bringing in sweets and should you have any? And you let yourself maybe have that donut that someone would bring in every Friday for that like team meeting or whatever it was. Okay. Is anyone buying you donuts now? Maybe Mm -hmm. you should go buy some for yourself now. There's so many differences that I don't think we take into account. And I think a lot of people are finding themselves struggling with sort of a more perfect ideal of who they should have been and how they should have been eating. Totally. I know one of the things that comes to my mind is the because some Ellen Satter principles, because when you speak about the donut experience, some people may eat the donut at work and have guilt around it and have regret. So they don't actually have permission to eat the donut. But the reality is that it still is meeting a like pleasure satiation need. And so now you're right. It's like now maybe they don't have those more moments that feel more impulsive or compulsive to them because they have it in their own home, they've chosen to buy it, it's there, and then they may not feel as out of control about the food that they have accessible to them. But that level of permission is still the same, I guess. 
And so I guess I would, yeah, I think that's a really good question or a good reflection for folks to think like, okay, now I'm eating this, maybe some of those other foods that I would have regretted or had guilt around in these other environments, but now they're in my own home. Am I giving myself any new permission or could I? And could I acknowledge that that maybe was the place where I would get a lot of those pleasurable foods was I didn't actually buy them, right? Like I didn't put them in my home, but I was getting them outside of my home. And so to maintain the hits of pleasure and enjoyment with food, perhaps I need to buy them and perhaps I need to have them around. One of the things that I, I feel like is important to bring into this conversation, even before we keep talking about some of the, the specifics, which are so important, is that our bodies are actually going through an immense amount of stress right now, even though it may not look like that to some of us. Some of us know that. Some of us are in higher risk situations regularly. Some people are out on the front lines right now. Some people are really, 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 really struggling. And that is apparent. But I would say as a collective, as a species, as a, as a human species, we're in a state of survival mode right now. And sheltering in place is a survival tactic in the same way that an animal would go into hiding to, in order to not be infected and to not spread the virus. And so our bodies, instead of being able to fight what is the threat, the virus, or run away, we are in more of a freeze mode. As most people know, there's kind of the, the fight, flight, or freeze when it comes to kind of a trauma response. And collectively right now, we are in that freeze. And so what that means is that even as you are at home, even as you're watching Netflix or you're on the couch wondering what to do with the rest of your life, feeling scared, like no matter what, that is kind of happening on a collective and physiological level right now. And so because of that, our bodies are telling us to store energy. They're asking us to stop doing too much because we're going to need energy later. Again, thinking of an animal, if they're hiding in a cave waiting to know when it's safe to come out, they're probably knowing that once they're ready to run, they better run fast away from that predator. So our bodies are, are waiting and storing energy. And so that's going to mean that maybe we don't have the same energy levels as we used to when we were running around all the time doing a million different things. Maybe we are exhausted. That's going to mean that sleep is necessary. It's going to mean maybe that we want more food. Like we're trying to get energy stored into our bodies right now on a physiological level. And so to be eating makes sense. Yeah. It reminds me of the RODBT neuroregulatory model of emotions too. And in that model, it thinks it has threatening and overwhelming sort of on that high end phase. And so I think of it similar, like that the, the body is so overwhelmed. And I know that that does impact some of our ability to understand our cues. Like when we are in overwhelm, that's shut down too. And so I can see how some people are confused about, well, am I supposed to eat? Am I eating too much? Am I eating too little? Because there could be some less clarity around the appetite cues than they were used to outside of this pandemic. <laughs> so not even just did everything externally change, right? But there could be definitely some of those hormonal changes happening internally 
to be in that freeze mode, to be in that protective survival mode. And that could be causing some of the confusion or concern, I think, too, that some people are the, the source of some of these questions for people and why they're bringing it to me. They're feeling so confused about what their body's actually even telling them. I think so. It's I when I reflect on that personally, I I still feel pretty connected to my appetite cues. I feel pretty clear when I'm pretty hungry and I think still pretty clear about satiation. Like that stuff hasn't left me very confused, at least in the last month. I think that the first couple, six weeks to eight weeks, uh, I would love to go back to myself then. I, I ask myself, I, I don't totally know. But I think right now it feels like I'm in a place where I feel pretty clear. I have noticed though that my body has changed. I am pretty clearly aware that I have gained some weight and that clothes are fitting differently and things like that. How do you make sense of that? Or how do you feel about that? <laughs> I, I am holding through to bodies change, right? And I, I do have an overarching picture of like, I've known that my body will change <laughs> in life. And I didn't know what the next thing in life would lead me, lead my body to change. But uh, here it is. It's a pandemic, you know, it's maybe not another pregnancy or another other type of change physiologically, but it's this. So I think that I, I find myself digging into that sort of compassion, acceptance, also the feeling a part of the collective experience of this, I guess. And I have been through this like anyone else, and there's been a lot of stress. And so I I do feel clear that stress is in that. I, I, I don't find myself more micromanaging my food or thinking through food in that way or linking those two things. So I know that that's the tendency in our culture, but I, I guess I'm grateful I still have the appetite cues to be able to continue to feel clear about how to feed myself. I can imagine that a lot of listeners are hearing you say this and might feel stunned actually that you could say that you've gained weight and you're aware of that and I also know that you're probably someone that does not have a scale so that you're tuned right so you're tuned into your body you're watching your your clothes feel a little bit differently etc and that you're not having any thoughts about changing your diet I'm trying to hear that through other people's ears and how well, that actually might be to hear someone say, oh yeah, I've gained weight and I'm doing fine. I'm passionate about it. Bodies change. I'm not attaching that at all to what I'm eating. Yeah. I did try to return a pair of jeans that I had because they don't really fit me. I don't think they really fit me when I got them in February either, but anyways, definitely past the return date, but I decided I'd still try mail them back in, see if the systems around clothing returns are gracious in the midst of a pandemic too. I don't know. Sometimes they are. I hope so. I hope so. Yes. So yeah, it's, I think that the, uh, I have, I have similar to what I was saying is like, how can we be curious? How can we be kind? I find myself curious, like what, uh, what is going on in my life? And I put a lot of emphasis on the, uh, stress and change and, and such. And, um, the other things when I look at, um, I don't know, economics, or if I look at like others, like social determinants of health, like environmental or 
like bigger changes like that haven't necessarily changed for me. And then lifestyle, like quote unquote, if people are going to put those lifestyle behaviors of like exercise, movement and food, I would also say that a lot of that hasn't changed for me. I'm still going into the office. I'm still having to lunch cooked in the Opal kitchen and I get to have that. And my breakfast is at home and my dinner is at home with my family. Like there's actually a lot of food stuff that it hasn't changed. So it's for me in the midst of this. So that's unique, yeah. I think. So I know it's unique to the world right now. So it's maybe easier perhaps for me to continue to hold true to my separating those things from body changes and allow it to be really more complex or not minimizing it to exercise and nutrition. Mm -hmm. I'm feeling pressure to cook a lot more than I did before, which makes a lot of sense because I'm home and I'm trying to save a lot more money because I have less. And I'm also trying to um, use up the food that I have. So I'm not going out, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Right. But all those things lead to this pressure to cook more and to enjoy it. And that combination is interesting for me to think that I have this pressure that I should be enjoying that entirely. And I'm someone that loves food and historically have really enjoyed being creative with food. And so that's one of the differences I'm noticing that this sort of high expectation that I have that I should just be like at home, like Julia Child, like trying all this new stuff and really enjoying just standing in the kitchen and gracefully chopping tomatoes. And that is not the case. There are plenty of meals that I'm enjoying making, but also a lot that I'm miserable while I'm cutting through. Like there's a lot of different emotions while I'm making my food. And it's just helped me understand like how many actually varying needs I've had as a person around food. It's something that I enjoy, but it didn't fit before I was at home and I beat myself up about that. And now that I'm at home, I'm like, oh, no, it's actually per- perfectly reasonable that there are nights that I'm so tired that all I want to do is reheat something. That makes sense. Like, it's also perfectly reasonable when I'm working many, many, many hours and then I forget to pack my lunch that I go and buy something really quick somewhere. Like I've needed to do that. And so I'm trying to remind myself of that and give myself grace in the moments that I'm putting really high expectations on myself to go, okay, what is, what is the actually the easiest thing that you could do right now? Like let's give yourself a break and how many easy things would you have chosen in terms of your food choices before the pandemic and like the percentage comparison is laughable because it feels a lot harder right now to be cooking all the time if that's the expectation. Yeah. Yeah. I think that that pressure to be a cook and be cooking a lot is from the diet culture. Mm -hmm. And I, I have felt that strongly prior to the pandemic because I'm less of a cook, don't really enjoy that, haven't found a lot of joy in that, and find that so much of the energy around the cooking culture and doing the stuff at home and home cook stuff has a diety flair to me and is motivated by weight and appearance a lot. Uh, so I think that that's so. For you to name that, I would wonder, like, where when you think about the, uh, yeah, sort of the pressures or the idealization of the 
cook in the kitchen. Do you relate to that? Do you think, do you feel that that's linked to the diet culture or influenced? It probably is sort of the idea that I would be able to make something quote unquote, that's like more balanced if I make it myself. Like I, I think I often think of a lot of the quick and easy foods as things that are richer and I make a lot of rich food actually, but I actually find it more complicated to make rich food. So that's maybe one of the the more, well, sometimes, I mean, a box, a box of mac and cheese is like really easy and real good, but I, I, I don't know. It's gotta be influenced. I'm sure that it is. Yeah. I also think that the, uh, there's so much privilege in thinking that if outside the pandemic, being able to be home with all of the, your desired ingredients, with your time to be able to cook and prepare that to me is a very, is a highly privileged opportunity and not everybody has that. And I, I think that that's sort of connection with sort of that white dominant culture and privilege and the diet culture feels like they're all connected in that and why we would feel that pressure in it. Yeah. And demonizing fast, quick meals, because often yeah. those are the things that are available for lower income families and don't have as much access to food, or maybe they're living in food deserts and like the judgment is so racialized too. Yeah. So I, I think it's important to name that. And I can only speak from my experience to know kind of where cooking is or isn't intertwined with my ethnic heritage and my culture and knowing that for many it's just intertwined in that all generations and across generations and i could imagine that those things even in the midst of a pandemic could still remain for those that have and could be a really a place of consistency actually before we end i want to make sure that we get to talk about the difference between snacking and binging as we normalize the fact that we need more food and that our routines have changed, I also know that there are people that are probably really struggling with true binge eating and are dealing with a lot of compulsive eating while they're at home and struggling with all sorts of different things. So people throw that word around very casually when they talk about binging. So I'd love to hear from you the difference and how our listeners can be thinking about either of those things, snacking and binge versus binging or emotional eating versus binging. I think I'll just start by just saying how I define those words to, so we can have clarity on that. So I would say snacking or a snack, having a snack is eating small amounts of food in between eating larger amounts of food, which I would call a meal. So like having a snack is like eating a small amount of food in between a meal. And then there are people that are snackers and maybe they're just snacking throughout the day, which means they're eating small amounts of food frequently and maybe never pausing to have meals. And then when I hear binging, I hear that as eating a large quantity of food in a short period of time. So outside of what somebody would experience as their norm of how much they would eat at a meal time. So eating a large amount, larger than even a meal amount in a short period of time. So like could be five minutes, three minutes, 15 minutes, like depending on how long meal times or snack times are. So when I think about the concern around the binging, 
those that are finding themselves in a pattern of actual binging, like I just described, I think that the biggest step back that I would say is, okay, how is your eating outside of those binging moments? Because there are definitely those that struggle with binge eating that just still are using that binge eating moment to escape, to find calm, to soothe themselves, to express emotion, to kind of meet a need. It serves a function and they biologically are well-fed. There are definitely people that are going to binge, even though they're biologically well-fed outside of those binge moments. And that in and of itself is certainly something to, you know, on the therapist side of things, right? Is just like, what else is, what's the function it's serving? And in that scenario, there's more emotional, psychological, like work to do there because the biological need of hunger is met outside of it. But then there's also the folks that are going to be binge eating, um, but maybe not eating outside of that. They're not well fed and well nourished outside of those binge episodes. And so for that perspective, I would say the first point of sort of attack or first point to uh, take attention to is that, how are you eating throughout the day? And if one is giving themselves you know, consistent, adequate eating, nourishing themselves with total amount of nutrition and pleasurable, enjoyable foods, that in and of itself can interrupt the binge cycle for many, many people. And I'm not to say that that's going to just fix it immediately, but for a lot of people, the binge behavior is happening because they are underfeeding themselves in other moments and, you know, over the, like generally underfeeding themselves. So I guess as a listener, if you find yourself in that camp, I would just make sure to sort of ask yourself, are you ignoring hunger? Are you feeding yourself regularly? Are you eating enough? So I think sometimes people use the word binge eating because they are being compulsive in their eating patterns and they're maybe even maybe overeating, but it's not really a binge, right? So they might feel out of control with the eating for a short period of time, but they maybe aren't eating a large quantity of food. So they do feel a little compulsive or um, they've maybe overeaten, they feel overly full or just feel disconnected, right? Um, and I don't know, I would just say that that could be for a variety of reasons. It could be more so in that emotional camp, like it's meeting a functional need. It also could be in the camp of biological need and craving and satiation and appetite needing, meeting appetite. And my big picture response with this conversation around binging and overeating is just that all overeating and binging isn't problematic and it is a part of our normal pattern of eating is to have moments like that. So if we are always and seeing it happen really frequently, then yeah, like we need to look at it, but um, to overeat sometimes or to be sort of impulsive compulsive with food sometimes is totally normal. I think that is incredibly helpful to be able to spell it out in those different ways. The one thing I'd add to what you were just saying about sort of compulsive eating in relationship to appetite is that, again, that is so tied into uh, permission and beliefs around food or can be. So if you're someone that believes that you shouldn't be having something that you then choose to have, are you really okay with finishing that one bowl of ice cream guilt-free and going, oh my gosh, that was so good? 
or does it send you into a place of self-sabotage and does it send you into having way more than you actually would want because you think that this is the only time you can have it because you had just sort of ruined your diet. And so the problem is not the food. Mm -hmm. I feel like we could say that a million times. The problem is not the food. There's a lot to unpack around the relationship to food that's underneath that moment where you're eating it. Um, And that's what needs attention, not your diet. Totally. Yeah, absolutely. It's the how of eating. It is okay to pause and look at it and think, huh, what, how, how am I approaching eating these days? And, um, but I guess I would just uh, let there be a lot of options that are totally okay, acceptable. Like we just are all such different eaters. So that's the dangers of like the, uh, it's such the dangers of the, what I ate today, Instagrams or YouTubes and those videos out there that it's just, I know that that's a whole thing of people trying to learn how to eat. And it, it, I don't believe that that in and of itself helps. I don't believe that that should be a guide for anyone to then shape their eating after. No. Being attuned in what you're eating and getting your nutritional needs met and also your appetite needs and desire needs met can happen over a period of time. It doesn't just happen in one day. So like if you find yourself eating mostly comfort foods in one day or one whole week, like if you're truly listening to your body, you will eventually also crave some other stuff too, probably. So um, to get a picture of who you are as an eater or who someone else is as an eater by looking at one meal or one day or even one week isn't really a full picture and shouldn't be. Thank you so much for joining us. As always, if you have any other questions about what we've been talking today or any comments even about your own experience, we'd love to hear from you. You can reach out to us on Instagram, Twitter, or on Facebook at Opal Food and Body. If you want to learn more about the appetite, if you want to learn more about Opal's programming or about our community relations events, make sure you go to our website as well, opalfoodandbody.com. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you also to Camille Dodson for all of her assistance in the podcast. Thank you to Jackstraw Cultural Center for sound engineering, even while we are at home. Thank you to Aaron Davidson for the Appetite's original music and to Hans Anderson for all of his incredible editing. Join us next time.